gentlemen it is our privilege to welcome back to the dogs of war podcast you can find him hosting every day on espn 1530 700 wlw and espn radio he contributes to the athletic he's sponsored by skyline chili he proudly flies his university of dayton alumni flag with me the voice of cincinnati mr mo egger mo thank you sir for joining us once again and how we doing the voice of Cincinnati, huh? That's right. Damn right. Oh, right there, the only yeah. voice I recognize. Bring, bring that to my next contract negotiation. Hey. What's up? How are we doing? Thanks for coming back. I Again, we've tricked you now a third time to joining us, and we appreciate <laughs> it very much because you're a busy guy. So great to have you. It's good to be here. What's going on? You know, well, like we were talking about before we hopped on, when we asked you to come out a few days ago or last week, whenever mm-hmm. it was, uh, things have changed in Cleveland a little bit. That's <laughs> Last time we had, last time we had uh, Mo on, Burrow was hurt, and I felt I could see it in your eyes, like the fan <laughs> in you was showing. I, I, and I felt, I just felt genuinely bad for you as like a fellow passionate fan, and it was just it's like hard for Browns fans to feel bad for anybody. Yeah, yeah. and I don't always feel bad for. I'll feel bad for any fan of any team if I know that they're genuine good fans mm-hmm. and i it just it was the shell of a man and now it's like wow those turntables <laughs> mo's never a shell of a man never <laughs> I, no, was, I, think, I, I was that day that he got carted off there's no doubt about that oh yeah it, i mean mm-hmm. we're, we're burrow fans too but what and this actually kind of plays into that the first thing i wanted to ask you mm-hmm. is what riley was just leading into last year we were talking about has coach zach taylor lost the locker room did Burrow just get Tim Couch? Shout out Couch, friend of the program, but you know, no O line. Uh, now you guys are five and three, and we're talking about our is Burrow and Chase, you know, the next coming of Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. So I guess simple but vague question: What happened this offseason? Uh, they drafted Jamar Chase, and he and Joe Burrow have turned out to be one of the uh, the best wide receiver quarterback combinations in the NFL. You know, you, you referenced uh, what people were saying about Zach Taylor losing the locker room last year. I don't know that he ever did. I, I think he had a couple of holdovers from the previous regime that weren't on board, and the reality was those guys were probably not going to be here by the time things started to turn around. Um, Carlos Dunlap, most notably, um, who clearly last year was not on board with what they were doing and, and maybe had every reason to be upset but they couldn't move on from him quickly enough they basically gave gave him away um before the trade deadline to the seattle seahawks and it felt like it it felt like a this huge weight was lifted from the team b it also felt like all right this is going to signal um whatever remaining holdovers there are from the previous regime being moved on from and that has happened. Geno Atkins was here a year ago, not here anymore. Billy Price was here a year ago, uh, not here anymore. Although I, I think that has had as much to do with performance as anything. But I, I don't know that the 
the the overall collection of guys uh, itself ever tuned Zach out. I mean, the one thing I've said over his first two years, you can criticize a lot of things. You could express uh, a, a great degree of skepticism that he is the coach who can get this thing turned around. But I never watched the Bengals when they were two and 14, two years ago, or when they were four 11 and one last year and thought, you know what? They're not playing hard. They've tuned out their coach. They're not prepared. Um, I thought it, it spoke volumes about what this team, how it was reacting to the coaching staff, the way they played at the end of the year last year, they beat the Steelers on Monday night football with Ryan Finley completing seven passes. They followed that up by going to Houston and throttling a bad Texans team. But if to me ever, there was a game in which you would think the Bengals would pack it in, it would be that one. I, I never really felt like, you saw that from this team. So I think the the suggestion that Zach was losing the locker room was a little overblown. Clearly, there were some individuals who were not on board, but I don't think those individuals were viewed as key components of the Bengals the next time they were good. And then what's happened since? Most importantly, Joe Burrow is healthy. Second of all, they've developed a, I think, a pretty enviable group of of wide receivers. But more than anything, they have, I think, rather quietly built a, a pretty good team. Um, there's not a lot of glaring deficiencies on this roster. There's not like this gaping hole where you're like, oh God, they're awful at this position or they're terrible over here. They're not great everywhere. And they could certainly use some help in, in certain areas. I think it would have been interesting to see had an edge, an edge rusher not named Von Miller been made available. Would they have pursued that, that player at the deadline? Cause I think they could use some help there. You could always use offensive line help, but Across the board, I think they've built a pretty good team and they've done it um, almost overnight. You know, right now we're talking about this team having division title hopes. We're talking about this team having playoff hopes and in, in what feels like a very wide open AFC. And it feels like they've kind of skipped a step to a degree. This year was supposed to be the year where you saw the incremental win increase, but they still had some holes. I don't know that this team is currently constructed and it helps that they're they're pretty healthy. I don't know that this team is currently constructed really has that many glaring holes. And so I think more than anything, they've just built a pretty good team around a quarterback that they view as the franchise guy that they've at least Joey so far franchise. managed to keep. Yeah. Managed to keep healthy. Quick question. Um, and not to bring up that, that first off, it blows my mind how well-spoken you are, Kevin. Huh. We, need, we need to take <laughs> classes. Um, True. Like, man, I couldn't go on a rant. That Why do you think I call old money Mo Egger? Yeah, I know this. This is awesome. <laughs> um, joke, yeah. uh, both of our teams, annoyingly, during <laughs> good years, ours being last year, lost to the Jets. Now <laughs> this week, I after uh, the Sunday loss against the Steelers, I was particularly depressed. So I just I didn't even check fantasy. I just put my head in a pillow <laughs> for like until Tuesday. Uh, what happened on? Sunday against the Jets for you guys. What went south? And wait, one more thing on top of that. See, yeah. Raleigh, you and I kind of called that before last year's season. We all, if there's one game we're going to lose this year, it has to be the Jets. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. has to be the Jets. Uh, so, yeah, I guess when you guys look at that, are you just kind of like us, even though you guys have had much more success than we have the years, you're just kind of like, eh, that kind of makes sense at the end of the day? Yeah, I, I think what, what they did with fans is they cashed in equity, right? They built up a lot of equity by beating the Steelers on the road, beating the Ravens on the road, uh, being relevant midway through the season, and then they laid a, a turd yeah. against the Jets, and it's sort of like, well, hey, look, we're still five and three. Uh, we won two out of three in this three-game road swing, and and I, I get that to a degree. What happened in the game, um, a, a couple of different things. I, I thought Zach coached a little inconsistently. They had a, a shot early in the game inside the five. They chased points against the Jets instead of settling for a field goal. 
And I thought offensively, to a degree, that maybe sort of set the tone. Um, they let the Jets early in the game play from ahead. They let Mike White get comfortable early. They completed his first 11 passes. Uh, I didn't really understand the game plan because they they effectively said, we're not letting this guy beat us deep. And why? Why? It's a guy making his first NFL start with not a lot of weapons around him. See if he can beat you deep. Instead, they kind of chose to let Mike White just dink and dunk. And I thought you could see him gain confidence as the game went on. Um, but they still had a chance. End of the first half, they got the football uh, after a Jets fumble at midfield. They drove inside the five, and you're thinking, okay, score a touchdown here, bleed the clock out, you'll get the ball to start the second half, and if you score a touchdown, you'll go into the locker room up by 14 points, getting the ball to start the second half. Instead, they settle for a field goal, and then they give up a touchdown. That's hard to do. It's hard to get outscored in a sequence like that. And then they didn't score in their first possession of the second half. They got to the 50. They punted on fourth and one, which is inconsistent coaching considering how aggressive they were early in the game. And I felt like that whole sequence kind of left the door open for the New York Jets. At the same time, with seven minutes to go, the Bengals had an 11-point lead. And you feel like with the way this defense is played, uh, given how bad the Jets are, you're playing a guy making his first NFL start at quarterback. And at some point, you're going to touch the football again with Joe Burrow. I think you would have. I think you felt pretty good there if you're a Bengals fan about them winning the game. And instead, if it could go wrong, it did. They gave up a very easy touchdown drive. Joe Burrow had a very bad interception. They got a shaky call against him on on Mike Hilton that basically sealed the the game for for the Jets. And so it was a disappointing afternoon. But to me, the disappointment of that all gets washed away if you beat the Browns and you go into the bye at six and three. I think everybody would just sort of walk away from the first half of the season and say, smashing success. If you lose to Cleveland at home, I think what everybody's going to do, understandably so, is look back at that game against the Jets and go, okay, fine, you lost to a division team at home, but that's why you have to salt the, the game away in which you're leading by 11 points against an opponent that you're favored by 10 and a half to beat. It was the most Browns recipe I've ever seen a, <laughs> not, the, not, a non-Browns team do. You're going against a guy making his first NFL start. No one's ever heard of him before, and you lose. That's that's what was the Browns' mo before Baker a thousand times. So speaking of us coming into uh, your house on Sunday, what is the temperature in Cincinnati? Uh, is everyone just laughing at the situation in Cleveland right now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> enough said. I mean, you, you guys have sort of, I'm sure, uh, gone into the. The, the mechanics of what's happened between Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield and Odell and, and the, the organization. But from our vantage point, and I think from the, the vantage point of most people watching this around the country, it's, well, who didn't see this coming, right? I mean, who who, who didn't see this ending poorly? Uh, regardless of, of where you want to lay the blame, I think most of us just said, whatever amount of success the Browns experience while Odell is there, at some point, it's going to blow up, and maybe it's going to be Cleveland's fault. That is an organization with a history of some dysfunction, I think would be fair to say. Oh, or we're maybe very open on this podcast. Right. You can be very or, open about, yeah. Right, or maybe it's going to be on Odell, and you know things didn't end well in New York, and so there's certainly a track record, as limited as it might be, that, well, it's if it didn't end well in New York, who's to say we're guaranteed it's going to end well in Cleveland? So um, I think for me, though, more than anything, it's it's been the way that he has his production has dropped off so swiftly. He, it's not like he's 34 years old. He's not even 30 yet. Um, he's been hurt all the time. He hasn't been extraordinarily productive. At the same time, I, I did watch that thing put together by his dad. And it's like, 
dude was open a bunch. So, so maybe there is something here to the idea that he could still play, but it just, from our standpoint, it's just God, who didn't see this coming? Who didn't see this turning into some sort of mess that could potentially derail the season. And so I think we're uh, not surprised by it. And I think for the most part, we're pretty amused by it because we've seen disruptive wide receivers wreak havoc here. And we know what, what that can do to a, to a team. Hot take, Kevin. I got a hot take. Uh, after Baker's press conference and after how the organization handled um, the thing from Odell, first off, some people are asking, like, why is he in trouble for something that his dad did? It's no secret that he was okay with it, behind it, whatever. Like, he hid from saying anything to anyone. Yeah, LeBron, didn't, LeBron didn't just go out of his way to tweet yeah. <laughs> on his own. Didn't, didn't say, hey, Dad, uh, take down the post. Didn't call Baker and say, hey, sorry about Dad's post. It's He wants out, and sweet, get him out. But the way Baker handled that press conference, and quite frankly, the way we have seen uh, Baker play without Odell, um, which nothing against Odell. I just think the Baker-him combination doesn't work, or maybe Odell has regressed blatantly. That's kind of what I believe, but I think this is going to be one of the finest hours of our locker room. I really do. I, I think the organization handled it well. Like they set the tone, like we're not tolerating that. Goodbye. We're figuring out the smartest way to get rid of you. Even if we do have to eat the contract, but towing the line, sending the message and saying, let's come together and get this done. I think it's going to be good in the long run, but the way he handled it, Odell, it's like, sir, be somewhat professional. I get that you're unhappy. That sucks. One, talk about it, voice your concerns and do it to the people that matter. Like what does an Instagram post do other than like, what the hell was that guy thinking? (laughs) So I, I do want to say one thing and this is no, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. I don't care. Let's just keep one thing that's getting passed over a lot in this, which doesn't really matter at all, but it kind of does. Odell's dad didn't make that video. He reposted that video he found on YouTube. So I, people are thinking that like Mr. Beckham senior was sitting in a room, like chopping up film. That was not the case at all. And number two, I will say the one thing and I'd be laughing at Cleveland too. If I wasn't, I, I'm, I'm laughing at it just to stop from crying. Uh, this is something I will say what you said there, Raleigh. I agree with very much previous regimes and coaches would have pretended like nothing's happening as the building is on fire behind them. So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I do say that before this video came out, before all this dad drama, daddy drama, there was never any ill will toward it. I don't think there really is any now. I don't hate Odell Beckham. If he would have just left, if we would have traded them or separated, it wouldn't have been like, uh, it would just, we realize it's just the same working. We don't hate Odell. We're not going to boo him when he comes back. It just, it wasn't working out. Clearly it wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't like, Oh, F this guy. But then daddy got involved and now I have no idea where we are. That's our quick take on it. Not that Cincinnati cares, but. Oh, they might. <laughs> Mo, do you care? We, we, we like, <laughs> we like it when, when, when other teams, uh, regardless of who they are, are experiencing dysfunction. Because that label often gets thrown at the Bengals, and I look, you, you, I, I, I've criticized the Cincinnati Bengals for hundreds of things in my lifetime, but I, it, it's been a long time since I looked at them and said they're just a dumpster fire of an organization with bad dudes. Um, they've been inept. I think inept is different than dysfunction. The uh, mm-hmm. 
the Washington football team is always guilty of, I think, some degree of dysfunction. Dallas at times. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders, and and that has nothing to do with the the awful situation that uh, uh, Henry Ruggs has 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 put himself and and other families in. Um, th- th- so there's, I, I think, with the Bengals, the, the D word gets used sometimes, and I go, I don't know that it's dysfunction. I think at times it's been ineptitude. In Cleveland, I've looked at it, and not so much now. It just it's it's a disgruntled employee. I mean, I, you know, th- those mm-hmm. things do happen, but how do they handle it? How do they move on from it? The Bengals had a disgruntled employee last year in Carlos Dunlap. We just talked about it. Uh, certainly not a, a player to the renown of of uh, Odell Beckham Jr., but I mean, you know, he was he talked about social media after they played a game last year, moments afterward, uh Carlos Dunlap tweeted about how his house was for sale. And just, you I know, about that. Yeah. Yeah, and just just the, the brattiest, like most immature, like 14 year old thing you can do. And the Bengals just said, fine, we're moving on. This guy's not a part of what we're doing now. He's not going to be a part of what we're doing in the future. And they just sort of cleansed themselves of it. And it didn't fester. It didn't linger. Um, this is a little bit different just because of the stature of the player. Everybody knows who Odell Beckham Jr. is. And everybody saw some sort of messy ending coming because that's just, that's, that's, Frankly, what you come to expect to a degree with this franchise and 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 to a large degree with this player, it doesn't mean anybody's wrong. Um, but uh, you know, again, like the the whole having your dad repost the the video and LeBron chimes in. I mean, th- th- those things aren't done without the uh, nod of approval from the main figure here. Uh, I I know if 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 it were me and you know somebody in my family, somebody in my orbit was trying to make a point about me and my employer. Uh, if I said, hey, nip that in the bud, they would do it. Um, or if I said, yeah, hey, that's great, they wouldn't do it. And I, I think there's a, a similar mm-hmm. dynamic here. Uh, pivoting point. Th- this may be a dumb question or universally known. No such but, thing. Not Zach, on this podcast. Zach Taylor, does he call plays for you guys? He does, yeah. What are your thoughts on, regardless of context, calling plays? Uh, I think you have to judge it on an anecdotal basis. I think if there's one area of concern that that fans and many of us have about Zach, it's it's his function in putting the pieces in place offensively. Um, and this has kind of been a a theme of the season. I think from a from the standpoint of getting the culture to where he wanted it, leading, getting players to buy in. There's not a lot to not like about Zach Taylor. I think you have to give him credit for getting a rookie quarterback ready to play pretty well week one last year when there was a weird preseason, no preseason games, weird training camp. He's learning the offense via Zoom from his parents' couch. Coaching has a role in that. Zach has a big role in that. I think all of that's good. I do think if you've watched this team over their first eight games, what you have seen at times is offensively. Um, in particular early in games, they spin their tires and they just go through these long lulls where you're like, God, with this quarterback and this group of weapons, they they shouldn't be so stagnant. They, they should be a little bit more creative. Why? Well, so everybody loves the quarterback. Everybody loves the weaponry they have. The offensive line has performed okay. Is it the, the play calling? Is it the game planning? Is it the the coaching that is supposed to be in charge of putting these pieces that we all like in place? And I think moving forward, that's that's going to be worth kind of paying attention to in the second half of the season. And if look offensively, this team has been good, but 
they've been good at times in spite of themselves where, you know, they've stunk for a half. And then, then at the end of the first half, they finally say, screw it. We're go- we'll throw the ball downfield to Jamar chase. And it just feels like that opens things up. Um, they haven't been bad as a whole, but if you've watched them week to week, there have been times where you've scratched your head going, why is this not working to the extent that it should? And I think it's fair to wonder if the, the, the overall offensive operations starting with, the head coach calling the plays and designing the game plan is the most effective way to get the most out of this offense. Um, and so I could see us getting to a point where this off season, where Zach is the head coach. That's and I mean, it would be hard for me to believe that at this point they would move on from him as the head coach, but do they sit down and talk about his role in calling the plays, his role, the offensive coordinator's role, or if there's somebody from outside they can bring in to help with the offense. I think if there's anything that you would sort of look at Zach and wonder, I'm not sure this is the the right way to go about things, it would be his role in in running the offense. A lot of parallels between that and our current situation. Uh, first off, we're huge Stefanski fans. but great, Yeah, great jawline, great guy, Ivy League. <laughs> I am... Uh, uh, I've taken a lot of firsts this year of like openly criticizing. Oh, this is the first time I've ever trashed a Browns player, Odell. Um, meaning my code is all you need to do is care or pretend to care. And all you have to do is not bash the team publicly on social media. And if you have to do it, don't have your dad do it. Those are like my bare minimum requirements. Mm-hmm. But management or a head coach, they're like a CEO or, or close to it. Their job, in my opinion, should be make sure the locker room is supposed to be where it's supposed to be, hold everyone accountable. But there's a human error is a really a very real concept in any facet of life, and you mm-hmm. should try to minimize that as much as possible. And it's so easy to do, or it has to be easy to do, when you're coaching a team and calling the plays. Like you should have somebody in that role that their only job, their sole purpose is to call plays, evaluate what works and what doesn't work and make small adjustments. And there's no way that like, as much as I love Stefanski, he's not necessarily football mastermind as far as play calling. And if he is, it's easy to screw up because he he quoted in um, that chargers game when he called a draw on third and eight towards the end of the game he said he was still hung up over a BS pass interference that wasn't called against the Browns. And it's like, well, that's a, that's a mental error that you made because you were emotionally attached to what was going on in the game. And I don't know. We just need to figure out how to (laughs) tell Stefanski to stop calling plays and just for one week. Give it to what's his name. This is a divide because I I don't want to take play calling out of his hands. Raleigh thinks otherwise, but Hey, that's a podcast life, Mo. Yeah. I mean, here's here's what I'll say about Zach, and 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 this is to a degree why I think it is very fair with him specifically to uh examine whether or not he should be calling the plays. He was the offensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati in 2016. And he was there for one year. Tommy Tuberville was the head coach. And I think to a large degree, anybody who would have walked into that situation would have been sort of set up to fail. The the program was a mess. Um, the quarterback they thought that they were going to have never really materialized. But, I mean, come on, college football, this is a really offensive-minded age. 
Cincinnati that year went 13 straight quarters without a touchdown. And I, I do the pre and post game show for UC. So I remember often sort of sitting in the booth going, in this era of offensive, hyper-offensive college football, why does this unit, why does this offense look like it's, you know, something that you would watch in like 1947? Um, and Zach was the play caller. And and again, was it all his fault that that team struggled to score by no stretch? At the same time, again, it's it's hard in college football. It's hard to go that many quarters, basically more than three games between touchdowns. It's hard to do. You know what's hard to do <laughs> is sit there and try to make sense of it and talk about it pre and post game for yeah. sixteen straight quarters. But, but but yeah, I mean that that would that was our our question. And you know, frankly, Zach escaped a lot of the heat because Tommy Tuberville was such a clown, and and we all <laughs> sort of knew that the the coaching thing was going to move on to Luke Fickle at the end of that year, and that's that's another story. But when the Bengals hired him, there were a lot of us who watched things unfold at UC that one year and went, that guy is going to be the coach of the Bengals. Now, obviously he had gone to LA. He had worked under Sean McVay. They'd been a part of a Super Bowl coaching staff. And so it's not that Zach didn't, didn't and doesn't have coaching chops, but okay, he's going to be the head coach. All right. But he's also going to call the plays. Well, I watched him do that and the results were awful. So, and we've talked about this a bunch. How much do you use that against him when evaluating his role calling plays this year. And again, it's not like they've been terrible and Joe Burrow really likes them. And th there's, you know, sometimes if, if you strip the play calling away from a head coach, that's sort of, all right, the writing's on the wall, right? You know, when you're, when you take responsibility away from somebody that typically doesn't bode well for their, for their uh, standing in their current job. I don't think there's anything to not really like about Zach, the game manager. I don't think there's anything to not really like about Zach, excuse me, the leader, uh, whatever fingerprints he's put on the 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 way the roster has been built, I think you have to credit him for that. There's there's a lot to like, but again, NFL head coaches have so many different things across their desk. And you know, the good news for the Bengals this year is things have been pretty calm, but there are there are so many crises, so many fires that you have to put out. I mean, I've I've heard you know, Marvin Lewis say what you want about him. He took over as the team's defensive coordinator for the second half of his last year. They they fired uh, Terrell Austin. And Marvin had great success as a defensive coordinator. But I remember, and this was, you know, he was on his way out, but I remember him talking about how I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to squeeze into my day preparing to call the defensive plays, right? I didn't, I didn't really realize when I decided to take on the role of calling the defensive signals that suddenly my life, my day-to-day -day existence became so much more complicated. My job as head coach is so all-encompassing. There's so much stuff I have to do. And now I've got to get ready for game planning. And then on Sunday, it is a lot. It is a lot to ask me, all right, what are we going to do here on third down? What do you want to do on fourth down? Do you want to challenge here? Meanwhile, I'm thinking about the blitz that I'm going to call or, or what, what, uh, yeah. what packages we're going to use the next time the other team has the ball. And I got to think for an offensive play caller, especially somebody as relatively inexperienced, both in that role and as head coach, it's doubly challenging. And so, yeah, I, I, I think, and we've talked about this here a ton. I think it is completely fair. Can you really maximize the potential of this offense with the head coach designing the game plans and calling the plays? Now, the other part of that is if the answer is no, well, well, then what are you bringing in some sort of experienced offensive coordinator 
who has head coaching experience, whose ideas might clash with the head coach and create a weird dynamic. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as simple as people will make it out to be. It's not as simple as well, give the play calling duty to the current offensive coordinator, because who knows if he's really equipped. And, And by the way, he has a role in designing the game plan with Zach. If it's bringing in somebody from the outside, do you disrupt, um, the overall chemistry of the staff, the overall chemistry of the team, somebody who has different ideas than Zach. I mean, what's the organization going to be willing to do in terms of paying the best offensive mind to be the coordinator? That coordinator realizes, okay, well, he's going to work for a guy that he has more experience than. Is that dynamic going to work? But again, getting back to the original question, yeah, it's, it's, it's the one thing about Zach that, that we've, we've spent a lot of time this year talking about, and that's, again, can the offense maximize its potential was Zach calling the plays? And I think you're being fair if you're at least wondering if the answer is yes. Uh, some a lot of parallels there. And I, not to interrupt you, Kevin, I think people think that it's like uh, when you say, should somebody give up play calling? I don't think it's as simple as he has no input with the offense. Like he can still sure. be in on the, like he can still have his overall input behind the game planning. But when it comes to real time, have somebody else call the shots, even if it's your overall game plan. I mean, yes, it has the potential to be dysfunctional, but so does a head coach calling plays in real time and making human errors. Like, I'll just quickly here. I, uh, I, I, uh, where I sit at Bengals games is right behind the, uh, other teams bench. And so the Bengals played the jets last year and I'm watching Adam Gase. Um, and Adam Gase during the jets defensive possessions was literally not even watching like sitting on the bench head buried in his play sheet. And to the extent that like somebody would have to go grab him and say like, uh, you know, Hey, they're punting or, you know, Hey, look, look at the video board. You want to challenge that. It, and that's probably not how you should manage it, but to a degree, you kind of have to, right? Calling plays seems like it's really hard. And so in this, in this era where there's so many decisions a coach has to make, I just, can you really be at your best at both if you're doing both? And I, I don't know with Adam Gase, he wasn't good at anything, but (laughs) I don't, I don't know that the answer is, is yes. Um, You know, you, you have to, be in constant communication with the quarterback. There is an emphasis on one half of the team that takes away from your ability to sort of handle everything else that you have going on. Um, I don't know that it really works. And and again, Zach, 10 years from now, after he does this for so long, maybe he's a master at making it work. But um, I think it's fair to examine that with with this coach and, and with this team. Speaking of the offense, can we squeeze in two more questions with you before you yeah, go back sure. to your regular life? Mm-hmm. Uh so looking forward uh, to this Sunday here, we've talked about the offense. You guys have Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Mixon. Burrow has a lot of weapons, but what people are talking about, obviously people outside of Cincinnati and just you know the headlines that we see, what's the status of that offensive line? It's been okay, and, and that we're was... Cheering, we're cheering for him to not get couched. We want him to stick <laughs> around for a while. It's been okay, and I think that was the plan. Um when the Bengals drafted Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell, and they took all mm-hmm. this heat from outside for not taking Panay Sewell, yeah. the, the rationale for making that decision was, was this, that they believed with another high-end wide receiver that every time Joe Burrow took a snap with the intention of dropping back to throw, somebody was instantly going to be open. 
and a quarterback who's really good at reading defenses and really good at decisively getting rid of the ball quickly, that is going to go a long way towards keeping him upright. That has worked. Also, it was, we're not ignoring the offensive line. We feel like we can make incremental improvements that will be good enough combined with what we just talked about to ensure that Joe Burrow is kept upright. Um, and they did. Look, they 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 did sign Riley Reef in free agency to play right guard. Um, they did draft Jackson Carmen in the second round. They traded down to get him. And when he's played, he has been fine. Um, they did draft Jonah Williams with the 11th overall pick in 2019. And the problem with him wasn't performance. It was he's barely played. He didn't play at all his first year. He only played 10 games last year. So it was, if this guy's healthy, we feel like he can play like the 11th overall pick. I'm not sure he's played that well, but he's been fine. And so that's what this offensive line has been. It has been fine. Could they use upgrades? Excuse me, without a shadow of a doubt. Are you worried about their depth? I, I think most fans would say yes, but what they have is better than what they had. And what they have, I think, all right, now you can build to one day having a very good offensive line. But in the interim, you've got a quarterback who has good pocket awareness. You have guys open almost every single snap. He gets rid of the ball quickly. He's done a better job of sort of getting himself out of harm's way. And and that was the plan. All of that was the plan. Um, but just the the play of the line as a whole, top to bottom, has been okay, has been fine. And compared to what the Bengals have been up there for the last four or five years, being okay and being fine is a massive upgrade. <laughs> uh, hear you on that. One more, and then we'll just do some quick predictions here. Just flip it real quick on the other side. I got, an, I got an important question, in case, unless this is the same important question, but go ahead. Well, well I was going to say, just to flip over the other side real quick, um, is it? safe to say that the Bengals defense has been a pleasant surprise for everyone this year. Cause I mean, you guys, you know, we're talking about chase and burrow and all these other weapons, but then I feel like a few games in people outside of Cincinnati were like, Hey, that defense ain't half bad either. Um, you guys got our boy, Ogun Joby. Um, you picked up Hendrickson. What are these new additions? And I guess just overall defensively, what were your expectations coming into the year? And then where are you at now? The the expectations coming the, coming into the year were if this unit can be somewhere in the middle of the pack, this team's got a chance to be okay. Um, I think we thought the ceiling was that this could be an average defense. They lead, or I guess you could say they led the league, I thought, coming into the year in players who when you're watching them, you go, <laughs> oh, yeah, him. Oh, that, oh, that guy's with the Bengals now? Or, he's still oh, playing. He's <laughs> on the NFL. Right. I mean, just a lot of guys like that. But but those guys have all played pretty well. Um, from, you know, Eli Apple to Chidobe Awuzie to yeah. Larry Oga. I mean, Larry Ogajobi has been fantastic. He's a dog. The moves they've made in free agency on defense have worked for the most part. Not all of them. Trey Waynes has barely played. He didn't play at all last year. That, that looks like... Uh, a bad contract right now, but, but for the most part, the decisions they've made on that side of the ball in free agency, Von Bell, Awuzier, Eli Apple is all for early, but, but he's been pretty good recently. Uh, DJ reader. They gave a bunch of money to, he's been fantastic. Ogan Joby. So, so you start there and then they've had some draft picks pay off. Jesse Bates has paid off. Mm -hmm. uh, Logan Wilson, the linebacker has paid off uh, Sam Hubbard an Ohio state kid, a Cincinnati kid. But that decision has has paid off. Yeah. Are do do you you know when you when you're playing the Bengals and you're like oh my god this guy's going to totally screw up our game plan? No, they they don't have like a Miles Garrett type, but I do think they have a pretty well coached, pretty deep unit that they're not bad anywhere. They're not great probably anywhere, but but they're not 
you really can't expose a drastic, glaring weakness. And with this offense, that should be, and so far at least, has has been good enough. Riley, you had... Yeah, that's uh, really all you can ask is no glaring weaknesses. <laughs> that's like yeah. what defense should be. Don't um, suck in something. Right? Um, so, Mo, you are a representative of what I told my wife is the greatest restaurant of all time. Skyline. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know you were that into it. Uh, it's a good ending question. Good ending question. I, I told her that I think skyline is my favorite fast food. Uh, every time we drive back from uh, Ohio <laughs> to Chicago, like I stop at one of them in uh, Indiana. But when I told her it was my favorite, she said, it's not allowed to be your favorite. Um, which I thought was elitist, but I will load up on those <laughs> cans to go. I will load up on four cones. What, what's your go-to order? And how special is it to be a part of that beloved franchise? The go-to order is either three or four cheese conies, depending on how hungry mm. I am. Um, it's it's great. You know, uh, as somebody who, who grew up here, and I will never forget going to Skyline for the first time. It was in Latonia, Kentucky with my grandfather. And... I mean, I'll, I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget it because the, uh, the, the guy, the guy who used to work behind the counter looked like Reds pitcher Scott Scudder. So, uh, and it I was, this, yeah, it was, it was hey. <laughs> uh, but so I've, I've been a fan since a kid, and and you know, as a, as a radio host, um, as sort of like corporate speak as this sounds, to to have a chance to be aligned with one of the iconic, most identifiable brands in this city is, is pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I admit that, uh, wholeheartedly and, and they're a great company. And, and, you know, my daughter, I have a four and a half year old daughter. She loves going to skyline. So it's, it's neat. It's, and it's, it's fun because I, from folks who follow me on Twitter from around the country, when I, whenever I go on other radio shows or something, they invariably want to talk about skyline or ask about skyline. And, and, you know, I get it. There's, there's there's nothing out there that everybody loves and so you know i've met people who don't love skyline but i do and most people here do and um it's just a really good company i mean just it's a cincinnati company it's a heritage company it's a family company they treat their employees well um even going back to my my former sister-in-law in high school worked at skyline and i just they were great so it's cool it's it's fun and uh it it gives me even more reason to go to Skyline, which I always was already doing on a on a pretty frequent basis anyway. Yeah, I, I would struggle to show my cards if I walked into the negotiating table. It's like at the end of the day, I would do this for the <laughs> for cost free. of free. Yeah. Um, and it's also <laughs> kind of a bummer. Like I wish it was a a total Ohio thing because it's like well. It doesn't it is. represent Cleveland. It doesn't. It's not a Cleveland. It's a Cincinnati. Oh, oh, thing. oh, 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 yeah. No, I thought you. I thought you were um, saying it's more of a. Yeah, it's for sure Cincinnati thing. Yeah, but yeah, some people they don't like it for. They say they taste cinnamon. I'm like, I don't know what the hell is wrong with these people, or if it's just like a. Some people see red where other people it, see green. I don't know. But that is, <laughs> it, it, guys. I'm, I'm, if you've never had Skyline, you owe it to yourself. Yeah, to yeah. Have we're one team of those Skyline. Incredible here. conies. Um, but other than that, Mo, are can we do Mo? You, I forget. Can we do predictions? Are you super superstitious? No, not at all. What's uh? What are we thinking? Sunday, we're coming in. What's the score? The the Bengals play nothing but close games. They've played five games uh, that have come down to um, a kick or or something like that. So 
I think the Bengals are going to win the game. I don't, you know, they they blew out Baltimore. They blew out Detroit. I I sort of believe those those games are are kind of going to be outliers. Um, I, they're they're the more intact, healthier team. They've played better so far this year, and they're going to be at home. So, I I like them. I think they're they're laying two and a half points. I think they cover that. I I think the win by a touchdown. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I don't know if it's going to be anywhere close to as entertaining as the two games these two teams played against each other last year, but. Yeah, they're healthier. Um, they're bouncing back. I mean, it's all that sort of stuff. And I, I, I just, I, I think top to bottom right now, the Bengals have the the better, especially healthy, and and that's a part of this season that we sh- we probably should talk about more because health goes such a long way toward determining who wins this thing. But right now, they're they're in pretty good shape from a health perspective. Uh, I think they're going to bounce back and and play well and and win the game on Sunday. I will go next. I. It's been a crazy week. I think one, well, not just obviously with all of our bullshit going on right now, but you guys, the Bengals are going to be pissed coming off of that Jets loss. I can't pick against us because if we lose Sunday, there's some very hard conversation we need to start having, which I don't want to go to. Um, I'm going to go, but I agree. It's going to be a damn good game. Uh, They have been as of late. I'm going to go 17-14 Browns. I think it's going to be, I'm not going to do it, Kevin. I'm not going to do it this time. It hasn't worked. Did I do? Did I call blowout? No, Raleigh's tradition. Well, when we have, well, you've been on a few times, and we have like uh, the the Chargers uh, podcast we had. I we've never met before. One thing Raleigh likes to do is when it gets to the prediction, he'll go Brown seventy, Chargers thirteen, and like the guy like <laughs> fell off the camera. Yeah, no, it wasn't it, right either. There was also like a superstition. It was working last year. Yeah, um, hasn't worked as much. Well, I guess it's worked half of the times, but. I'm hoping, praying that this offense turns a new leaf without the presence of OBJ. And I don't even know if there's any science behind that other than kind of happened last year. So I'm going to go. I'm just going to say Browns by a lot. And if that works, <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. Uh, hey, ditto on the the health stuff. Let's hope for, for health for both teams on this Sunday. I sound like a priest or something. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Once again, you can find all of Mo's social media info in this episode description at Mo Egger, but we'll also include it, of course. And at ESPN Radio 1530, 700 WLW, The Athletic, and I don't want to say most importantly, but pretty importantly, also a fellow Dayton Flyer. Yeah. Mo, thank you once again, sir. Truly appreciate it. Let's have ourselves a game on Sunday. For our guest, Mo, for Raleigh, for myself, thanks for listening to Dogs War Podcast, and good night, Cleveland. the story goes.